Welcome to a playoff-ending, season-ending edition of the Grizz Den podcast. Last night, the Grizzlies fell to the Los Angeles Lakers in L.A., 125-85 to to lose the series in six games. Uh, it wasn't exactly the most inspiring end to the series, um, and we're going to unpack it tonight for you guys. We're recording here on Saturday night, and it's been less than 24 hours since that game happened. We are going to be um, unpacking this series. We're going to be unpacking this this playoff run, and we're going to also be looking ahead to uh, what needs to change, what do we have available to change, and what is the the state of the union, if you will, on the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, before we get into everything, I'm going to welcome... The gang, John Kraft, welcome to the show. Hey, I made some big statements before the series. And I just want you to know. Oh, boy, did you. I've shown up for my media availability. <laughs> John Kraft is here to speak to the media. Ty Smith Sr., welcome. Hey, thanks. And Brantley. I'm feeling relieved, guys. Glad to be here. Yes. Relieved. Lots of emotion. Yeah, let's, okay, let's start with you, Brantley. Yeah. Uh, we're going to first just discuss... Um, how we're feeling right now, now that the the season is officially over. Brantley, you have the floor. Um, so, I, you know, I'm open and honest and transparent with, like, how long I've been a Grizz fan. It's been since I moved to Memphis, which was, you know, 2011-2012 season. And I think that this season, this team, has been my least favorite Grizzlies team of all time. And so I'm glad that this season is over. The way that these players have – what they have done to me this season, I th- maybe tops even the season – the 2017-2018 season, I think, was the season where we had like a 70 people play for us. And it was a physical season. like started a playoff game and, or something. And like <laughs> Tyler that, Zeller. that season sucked <laughs> because you could – you never knew who was on the court. Chandler Parsons might have been on the floor. You never knew. But it was still sort of comical. I I have just this has not been a fun season, and I have not liked the way that the team has played, and I have not had a lot of joy out of it. So that's why I'm glad it's over. When did it start in the season for you? When did this turn? Because Christmas. obviously Christmas. Okay, I think Christmas is when it turned because we've. I I feel like that's when when that game happened that way. We were we I think even as a podcast were building up sort of momentum and thinking about what was going to happen with Ja and the team around that event and it just all just plummeted from there and expectation on the court and the things that were happening off the court really just started to swirl and it really became it, it just was not fun to be a fan. After that game, during that game and after the game, okay, Ty, where are you right now? Um, not in obviously not in good spirits. I think it's you know it's been twenty four hours ish since I guess no, not even that. Um, since the game tipped off, so it's still really fresh. Uh, some would say I'm an emotional fan. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Um. What so do you I'm say still, about yourself? Uh, I'm proud of you for, for, for admitting again, that. I'm trying to take, you know, take responsibility, trying to be accountable for my actions. 
Um, I think it's just the way we went out is I think I texted this to y'all. Brantley kind of a little bit on the back end of, of that to a degree. It was pretty fitting, right? The 100%. way we lost last night was pretty fitting. Um, it's kind of funny after game five, a lot of like serious media people were like, maybe the Grizz found something to get themselves back in the series. So there's like this little bit of sense of hope, um, especially with the Luke stuff. And again, just going back to it just being one of those years and fitting for the season, we find out Luke can't go. And I watched the game with Will last night, and then we were together when we found out that news. And we both were like, "This Soul is crushing. this is over. We can't we can't win." Um, and it really felt that way from the jump. Before I'm mean, honestly before the game started, uh, this has been yeah, it's been such a just such a hard year to be a fan of this team to because I'm not a person that like thrives off of rooting for you know villainous teams to an extent I've never rooted for one I've never been a fan of a team good enough to be hated necessarily Uh, I went to Mississippi State we've never really been good at anything so I've been on the clear in that one the Grizzlies teams in the past were always like under the radar good it was like we were always overlooked good and this year that all flipped we were in the spotlight again basically starting Christmas Day because that was right after Jaws I'm fine in the West comment came out um golden state was down some players on christmas i think bain even said something like we're coming in there blah blah blah, whatever and then we just get run out of the gym it all kind of started from there so it's been kind of a unique experience for me personally as a fan to just root for a team like this where it's kind of like i just didn't really feel comfortable about it the whole year um but i love this team obviously i love the grizzlies i love certain players some players i absolutely do not um, so it was just kind of a, in a weird spot and I feel like the end of it was pretty fitting to just get blown out and embarrassed by LeBron after all the comments, after everything was said, all that kind of stuff, the Lakers, the big market, the big brother, one would say, um, yeah, it's just, it was really hard in end though. So not feeling great. Where are you craft? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, just always at the end of the season, I'm I'm always sad, and that kind of it's like feels like, um, you know, your friends are going abroad for a while, leaving town for a little bit. Even the friends that drive you crazy, uh, sometimes, and so that's always a sad because it just feels like this kind of just fun part of your life that's kind of there in the background for several months is gone for a little while. Um, so it always takes me a couple of days to want to get back into the NBA playoffs and. And, uh, and kind of mourn the, the, the end of a season. So I'm feeling that at the moment. Um, as far as, uh, besides that, I do think I kind of agree that it was, it definitely was not as fun of a season as last year. It was more of a grind. Um, you know, there was this, uh, I don't know if it's quite relief for me, but it was definitely sort of, uh, you know, it would have been full. However far we went in the playoffs this year would have felt like kind of fool's gold to me um, because this just is not – this team – it was off in some ways much of the year, this team. And so in that way it was kind of fitting. So, But I wasn't kind of – I don't know. Maybe it was relief. I'm not sure. Um, but I think for me, I mean, shockingly, uh, though I'm sad, I am sort of – excited is probably too strong of a word, but I'm eager 
in the sense that last year the frustration to me was with the jaw injury. I felt like there was there we lacked some clarity, um, and I was worried we were headed there again after game two of this series. But I actually feel like we've come out of this playoffs with more clarity on directions we need to go and what the team needs and uh and and I think for our core clarity on 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 like what needs to happen. And so in those things I'm kind of eager, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for camp next year. Yeah, basically. that's right cuz it's basically like last year you could have easily said if we had Ja we we beat the Warriors and maybe we're in the finals. Yeah. There's there's a lot of what ifs about last year. And, and, and whereas and, that's and definitely not the case. That's, and we yeah. actually fought in the game 6 that we lost. I mean, right. at one point in the fourth quarter, we were actually up uh, down the stretch. So it felt right. like there was at least a competitive game. And I feel like out. our start, you know, and, and I think there is this sense of, I do believe if, like, when we have our starting five intact, we are a very, very good team. Uh, and I think, so there is still this sense of, man, if what if for Adams and Clark? But I do think that that Tillman was probably a poor man's version of, of Adams in this series. I just think that... Some certain parts of where our roster needs to go and what needs to happen were, I just to feel way more clarity now than I did last year, and I think in that sense, I'm 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 eager. So I'm not excited because I'm never excited about losing, but I'm eager in that I think that this might be a one step back, two step forward season, and that that I'm hopeful in three or four years we're going to look back and be like that season was not fun. It kind of sucked at times, but it's the reason we're here now. And that's, that's that. So I'm, I'm, ex, you know, so I'm already doing the silver lining stuff, but that's kind of where I am. Well, it feels like that's the, the only other route. I mean, it feels like we're either going to go that route or we're going to look up in three or four years and be like, man, remember when we had so much promise and now like it's all gone. Um, I mean, it could just like stay the status quo, but it really feels like we're kind of at a fork in the road. We're either going to like learn from this and build on it, or we're going to like let this continue to crumble us. Right. And everything does just kind of fall apart in front of us. Um, it's hard to say that knowing that all three of our best players are all under the 24 or younger and they're all under contract for a really long time. Um, so we would have to make a decision to shake things up. Um, but it does feel like things can kind of – I don't want to yeah. be hyperbolic and, you know, hot takey, but right. things can kind of like and turn I, on you. I just – I mean, right. Luca and Dallas right now, like last year, and Trey Young and the, and the Hawks are another great example, right? They were like the next team, up-and-coming team, and now they're like fighting to make the play-in. Dallas even misses the playoffs. I don't want to be that team – in the next two years where we're now like fighting to make the play in kind of thing. Yeah. You know? And I, I just, I just, I, again, you know, I am always positive. I just find that hard to believe that that's even a possibility. Trey and Luca, they're that have trouble having their teammates like them. That is not an issue with our leaders on our team. And I just think our front office is good. I don't good. agree with that statement. Okay. We well, got to talk about that. We'll later. talk about that maybe in a minute. I think, I think jaws different. I think Jaron is different. And, and I think, uh, that's a big deal. I also think our front office is way better. The season showed you something different, dude. You gotta, you gotta see it. I don't think it did. Um, yeah, so well, the front office is so we, for discussion to be had in a minute. Spoil, uh, you know, teaser. But, uh, but I think that I think that our front office is uh, is much better. 
than the front office we had previously. I just look at the promise of 2011, which I think is what a lot of Grizzlies fans are going to be feeling. Like this great 2011 Grizzlies season, we upset the Spurs, look at the future, and I just think our present front office gets the cap better, drafts better, um, understands the landscape better. And by the way, that that team had a, had a best player who was 30. And our, our best players are 23, 23, and 24. So I think it's a big difference. Yeah, I'm I'm just tired overall. And I feel like the team is also very tired and in need of a retreat overall. I, I just think, I mean, Taylor Jenkins, number one, having to deal with all the headaches this season that didn't necessarily even have to do with on-court schemes, which, you know, if you're an NBA coach, you know that's part of the job. Um, John Morant needs a huge reset in his probably overall life. And then also definitely, I mean, we saw some semblance of a revival, I feel like, in the playoff series in the middle of it. Um, But that didn't carry over, especially into the elimination game. And then you look at all the injuries. Like I would compare it to if you were to, let's say you bought a company and um, all the salespeople who were generating you know, the most of the revenue or sales like stayed on, but all of your like HR people quit, all of the the janitor quit, you know, like basically everyone that makes it go behind the scenes. You still have your guys out front, but everybody behind it is not there. And eventually that's going to bite you. And I think that's what happened. And I'm not sure. I mean, I do think looking ahead, like you could say, and I, I do believe that Warriors and King, I mean, Warriors would not have been fun to play. Um, they're better than the Lakers, in my opinion. Kings are a different story, but both of those matchups were just more favorable to the injuries we had in the moment. And I think Luke really was, I mean, I jokingly tweeted yesterday, we're done as soon as the the Luke news dropped, but there was a semblance of truth in that as well because I felt like that was the last straw and what was such an injury-riddled season, and we can get into where we place the blame on the season. I have injuries right at the top, mainly because of the way that we built our team and the way in which everyone kind of complemented each other to work in, um, I don't know, it's just like symbiotic in in the way in which our stars complemented our role players and vice versa. And, And I'm just, I'm sad for the city as well, uh, there's nothing better in Memphis than the NBA playoff energy uh, downtown. And I was fortunate enough this season to go to each of the home games. And just that, I mean, from the time in the afternoon uh, when you get downtown before the game to walking over in the arena to everything out front to when you get in the arena and just ha- the buzz that is there. Um, and then just like seeing an extended playoff run back in 2013 that carried you all the way to the conference finals, there just really isn't anything like that. And so I hate it for the city that it's it's over this soon. I think we are so in ingrained in terms of what's going on with the team that sometimes uh, it's hard for us us who are just like I'm already thinking about next year, but just yeah. to take a step back and say like you really see what this team means to the city. And so I'm disappointed in the fact that this season is cut short just just for that reason. Yeah, um, I mean May's, specifically. May, I, you know, I've always said May's the best month in Memphis. Easy. Uh, and uh, and so and it, it made even better. I mean, that's sort of the 
I think why it's so amazing when we got a professional team because May to me is when the NBA is the best and and when playoffs you know in Memphis are the best uh, is in May when in this month that's such a great month to be a Memphian so it is a sad thing when we don't even make it to May um, it's always sad yeah um, so I guess talking through just the series itself what Ty what do you think the biggest difference was throughout the course of the series like why I mean this big question but why did why did we lose like what what happened I mean, there's not one thing, obviously, right? I feel like it's kind of a combination of a few things. Um, one thing I'll mention just right out of the top, because I know a lot of people are going to say it, and to, to some extent I agree, is the injury thing, Will, like you mentioned. Like, it really does matter. Um, Steven Adams was, you know, if you follow the Steven Adams stats on Twitter, he'll, uh, or he or she, whoever runs that account, will direct you to all the ways that Steven Adams helped us. Um, and he did. It's kind of hard, honestly, because the way we played, I know Zach Lowe mentioned this when Steve-O got injured. It's like he really does like kind of run their offense, oddly enough. Um, he's way more of an engine. Um, friend of the pod, uh, Matt Hardlicka, said that basically with Steve-O and Jaron on the floor is what made our defense elite, is having both of those guys on the floor at the same time. Um, and when you lose that, it really does hurt. And not only that, like Tillman did step in like very admirably, right, in a great way. But then the depth behind that is just, it's crushed, right? You got nowhere to fall back on. Last night, Tillman got four early fouls. Then you look up and you see Santi playing the five, and it's just, just disaster after disaster, right? So, like, not only does it hurt your top end talent, but it also hurts your depth a ton. Um, BC similarly, right? Like BC, I feel like could have done the pick and roll clearly would have helped Tyus because he needed a lot of help. Tyus was awful. Going to get to that point here in a second. Um, but I do think injuries played a role. Um, I think role players too. I'll just mention that really fast. Our role players were non-existent. Um, our best role player had one of like our worst like stat lineups, but the fact that he could just like make them guard us, which is, I'm talking about Luke here. Um, if you look at Luke's stats, definitely not like eye-popping, but like, man, that guy changed the series. But the fact that when he was on the floor, we were so much better just shows you how starved we were for basically just shooting in any kind of way. We made them, or we were really easy to guard um, at certain parts, and that's because no one else could hit a shot. Um, Tyus was horrendous this series. Santi was bad. Roddy was bad. Conchar was bad. You I name a, I disagree with that statement. Conchar wasn't bad. Conchar was awful. Um, he no, shot he just 22% average. from the field. He shot 0% from three, which means he didn't make one the whole series. Um, so that's not very good. I know, but I just think he play made and did some things defensively. that We needed just, him to do us. a lot more than not make a single three in the series, I would argue, if he's going to be on the floor and they're going to leave him open. But, sure, we'll take the other stuff into consideration. Um, two rebounds, .8 assists, .4 steals, .4 blocks. Um, he had a foul of games. So there's something. Um, anyway, moving on. Yeah. So, role players weren't there. Tyus, again, we we'll, may look at his stats later. They were awful. He shot basically 15% from three on three attempts a game. Um, just really, really, really bad. And the last thing I'll say is we did not have the best player in the series, right? 
a lot of people talk about in the playoffs, if you got the best guy on the floor, you got a really good chance to win. And in my opinion, that was Anthony Davis. Basically every game he he laced them up. Um, game five, maybe not, even though he was still really good. But we got great efforts out of two of our studs. And basically it was just Davis and no one else for game five for the Lakers. Um, he dominated the series in one way or the one way or another, um, to me, and I give him a ton of credit. Right, I think during the series, I don't know if it was just us making him look like this. He looked like one of the best players in the world, maybe top five. He looked phenomenal. Um, maybe that was just us playing into his strengths. Right, um, I think Jaron was definitely mitigated by AD this whole series. Um, this we was sealed off the paint like he hundred percent. That's, that's our bread took and butter. Away. Yep. Yeah, took it all Completely away. Completely took it away. And maybe Stevo changes that. Who knows? Right. Um, but I would kind of point to those things: um, shooting, lack of role players, AD being just the absolute best, and then we'll sprinkle in some some injuries on top of that. What do you think, Bradley? Why do we lose? I think we lost this series. Um, you know, 12 games before the playoffs started. I think mentally our team was off way well before then, and I think it showed into the playoffs as well. I think that, you know, the whiplash effect of the team on learning how to play with and without Jaw is a real thing. I think it's, I think it's evident in the way that when you just watch our players and how they have to play without him, we're clear, I think we're better with him he gives you more upside but the team the roles change and I also think that we came into the series clearly off mentally we didn't take care of business in game one when we did take care of business in game two we let our mouths run even though it was just one player we couldn't back it up I even didn't like some of the stuff that I heard Bain saying about going into the game yesterday um, just being so confident and bringing home game seven. I mean, like, there's this is a put-up-and-shut-up league, make or miss, whatever you want to say. And mentally, we just – I think that the way, our mentalities, and this starts top-down, organizational top-down. It starts head coach top into the players, allowing them to act this way, enabling it. It, it starts with the core three – setting that foundation from a leadership perspective, I think it's really, really off. I think they've got a, a giant bleep and wake-up call, and their mentalities have got to change in terms of how they think about things, and it translates to their mouth and into their game. Yeah, I think I'm surprised it took us this long to get to Dylan uh, because I definitely think going from game two to game three – I mean that changed the the full complexion. Totally, I think that um, I, I I do believe that game four is such a swing. I mean, again, miss it. You you miss that shot by an inch. Like we're looking at two two, how well we were playing at home, and I'm worried. Like playing the results back will be. Um, I, well, I I do agree with the overall point. Um, but yeah, and, and playoff games are just, it's, it's so easy to, to take a look at a series once it's over and use some of what's happened throughout the season to connect it to that. And when it, especially when it ends really early, 
Like I think we're 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 really good at at really heightening what went wrong once a series ends and it doesn't doesn't go in your favor and it's almost as if like if we have but I think to your point and I you've been saying this long enough for us to know that even if we had made it to the second round my guess you can correct me if I'm wrong is there still would have been some of these concerns. Yeah, I think so. And I think that like like Game fours are going to happen in the playoffs. I, I really – like, it sucked to lose that game, but I expect that to come in in a, in a playoff series against a good team. What shouldn't happen is the mental approach in a game one to let to, – to mess up defensive assignments and let role players beat you on your home court and just to get so downtrodden and beaten down and think you can just recover because every possession matters and, it, and you can't do that. And then to have the audacity – to call out the second best player of all time and not be able to back it up and to ch- and it changed the entire series and then on top of that to lay down in a game where you win or go home in LA and I like lay down is an understatement of what happened last night it was awful it was an embarrassment it was just as much of an embarrassment as nine points to me in a quarter. I can't believe it. And I look, we didn't have Luke, but awesome. That's the way T Jenkins been coaching the series the entire game or the entire series. So it just I could not be more over this team. And I'm so ready to see some stuff change and to see them shut up up. Kraft, what went wrong? So yeah, so I think I mean to me there's two prongs here and it's it's the 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 prong that Brantley just talked about, which I do want to get to, but uh, but for the sake of just uh, the the more sort of I think uh, data on the court issue, um, to me there is actually one very glaring difference when you look at the stats, and it was fascinating to me because before we came into the series, what we were talking about the worries were you know rebounding, Jaron foul problems. Uh, you know, uh, those sorts of things. Um, we felt, you know, we didn't love our bench, obviously, because of injuries it's shortened, but we didn't feel like Lakers bench or their role players were going to, like, just destroy our role players. Um, and what actually ended up happening was we actually did fine rebounding with them. In fact, I think we might have gotten more rebounds than them in the series as a whole. Uh, we, uh, you know, turnovers about the same, um, you know, Honestly, uh, Jaron played a lot of minutes. Like he really, he had one game where he really got had foul problems. That's yeah. It. Fouls will should not be yeah. the narrative. And for I him think all forward. of us said if we thought Jaron was going to average thirty eight to forty minutes, like like Grizz and five did not seem like a crazy idea. And and so to me, the biggest shock of this series is the Lakers out shooting us because that goes way against, um, and not just their normal like season stats, but since the trade deadline, like they're just not a team that makes a bunch of shots. Like they were a top defensive team, which we'll get to, which is why, you know, which is probably added to our poor shooting. Uh, But, but here's, here's the question I would ask you before I finish my point, which game did we have the best effective field goal percentage, which basically means we shot the best. What, what game do you think of the series? We shot the best had the, had the highest effective field goal percentage. Hmm. I'm going to say one or four. Okay. 
I'm, I'm assuming since you asked that it, it's probably like game three or something. I was going to say three because of the way in which we outscored them for like the last three quarters. No, game one, and it's not even close. Game one we had by far. And when we came on our instant reaction uh, podcast, we talked about, I can't believe how poorly we shot. And so that's definitely going to be better. Um, we also said that the Lakers shot like crazy, and that was by far their best. Um, well, I say that. That was as far their best until last until night. Until last night. Until last night. But but that was their high water mark. Um, like they actually last night they actually shot slightly less uh, good, but it was like right at like six twenty six twenty one effective field goal percentage. So we so and we came in thinking, man, that was a shot variance game. We missed a bunch of open shots. We didn't shoot well. They like hit everything, which they did. Um, and so that's going to change. And of course it did. Like the Lakers went super cold in game two, which is one of the major reasons why we won game two. Uh, but that's bit for me, that was it shot making. We did not hit open shots. And I think there's two big glaring things for that, uh, for me. And which is one, uh, I think Bain was one more injured and also having to play such hard defense, um, uh, that he just like that he might this hopefully was a wake up call for him shape wise about what he's gonna have to do to be able to hit threes and play good defense in the playoffs. But I think a lot of it's about his toe. Uh, and then just we didn't hit shots like a bunch of our guys that we have a bunch of our role players. They were open. They didn't hit shots. And then obviously the biggest glaring thing of all, which is uh, at all times when we had our three core guys in. um the Lakers basically played three on five. They said, we're going to guard Jaron. And well, they didn't guard Jaron that much in game one. They changed their mind after that though. And that was again, our best shooting game, the game that Jaron played well. And so we went basically, we're going to guard Jaron, Jaw, and Bain are always going to see two. And the other two guys, we're just going to leave wide open. And in game two, Tillman got them by going 22 and 13. In no game did Dylan get them. And then the only time that that messed up was when we had Kennard in. Because when we had Kennard in, they could not go, they could not play five on three defense. They had to honor Kennard. Um, and when they didn't, and honestly, L Russell lost Kennard a couple times just because I think he was so used to playing the three on five defense that they played. And, and so to me, the, the biggest thing that I thought was, you know, is that we need four shooters with jaw. Um, and if we don't have four shooters, uh, we need jaw to get much better three point percentage, or we need somebody like a Brandon Clark or a Steven Adams who are so elite at other offensive things. Rebounding too. Yeah. Setting like, screens. So offensive yeah. rebound, rebounding, rim running, athletic, saving possessions. Yes. We have like, because the, the Warriors started the blueprint last year on Dylan. They began it. Um, it. It kind of was masked. And Darvin Ham didn't really go after it completely in game one. But then from that point forward, he, that was what he did. And it, we had no answer for it. Um, and again, injuries and all that stuff. But, and so for me, the biggest glaring thing I saw is we – with our core three, we got to have two other players that are so elite at certain things um, if they're not great shooters. And 
and if we don't do that, teams are going to play five on three, especially in the playoffs. And I think because of our system, because of our other things, that's going to get masked more in the regular season. Though I think some teams do play it. I mean, I think that's what the Warriors did to us on Christmas Day, honestly, because they were kind of desperate. But but that's so, – so that was sort of the glaring thing to me. And then – and with that, five Hold on, on three, a second. Hold on a second. You've yeah. got like 17 points you're making real quick. Sorry. Uh, that was my you, main thing. You had, talked about, you had talked about the, the Warriors blueprint on Dylan thing, and I was literally pulling up some stats just to sort of – because I was thinking the same thing. And so last year, if you look at Dylan's totals um, in the playoffs, he shot 35% from the field, 35% from three in the playoffs. Is this just the Warrior series or no, both series? No, in the playoffs. Okay. Okay. So the key, key, t- key term. And, but then if you look at what he did against the Warriors, he shot 32% from the field and 32% from three. So he went down. He was 37% against Minnesota from three and 38% from the field. So he was basically his – season average against Minnesota dipped down significantly against LA. He was 31% from the field. So similar in the field for what he was against golden state, 24% from three versus the 32. So it's the blueprint. It's the confidence. And, and it, you know, to your point on the three on five thing, everybody noticed it after, you know, game one, but it, it was, I mean, Last night was the only – was like one of two nights where he didn't shoot almost ten threes. Yeah. Well, the weird part is the only game where Kennard – it was not like where the Kennard-Dillon change was not super drastic was game four, the close game. And uh, that's the only game – and that was the game where we didn't play Kennard very much. He played very little. Um, and, I'm, and I'm guessing that's because he was, he was a negative for the game and – some defensive stuff and Jenkins got spooked and didn't want to play him as much in the second half and rode Dylan longer. Uh, but that was, I mean, that's to me the glaring uh, piece. And, uh, and so as far as, so that's like the thing that really stands out to me. And then as far as the mental thing, which is that we definitely have a mental issue. And uh, I think it's, a, I think it's a youth. I think it is, this is, I think it's, they don't want to be the villains. And I just think they were this whole year has been them being surprised by being the villains. And it's weird because I feel like we've always responded like even within the season, the terrible Christmas game, then a 12 game win streak, like then, then another terrible uh, losing streak. Then we came back out, but then we had injuries and then the jaw stuff. And, and it's like this frustrating where we, we have these humongous mental lapses like 35 to nine and then we come out game four and are the Grizzlies again. And then, and then we have what we had last night, which I think was a lot of our three core guys realizing without Kennard we didn't have a chance. Um, but then, but then it's, it was very disconcerting. But there's this mental weirdness and weakness to what Brantley was saying. And we can, and we can maybe later talk about what we think that is and all these things. But I think that was also the other reason. And what's amazing to me, and this is where I'm going to have to do the silver lining thing, so sorry, guys. But – with that, with like literally having the most embarrassing quarter ever, with literally having the most embarrassing playoff game I can remember last night, with playing three on five, with all of our core players playing under their season averages for shooting, with having this game plan that destroyed us, we're still a freaking LeBron layup, I think, from going to the second round. 
And so there's a part of me, the frustration, and people will talk about the Lakers and the greatness, and I do think Anthony Davis was the best player in the series. We're better than them, and we choked. We screwed this up, and that's what's frustrating to we me. We weren't better than them. I, th- we're I not think better. We, we were. You may say talent, but talent Ta- includes, okay, so we, I talent would say includes we should, mentality. We should have won. No way. We should have if our mental game was perfect, and there's nothing that has shown since Christmas that our mental game was perfect. That is a that is that is just an outlier, and it's looking at the season incorrectly. There's like we came into this season having our best player, having us have no idea how he was going to perform and how we were going to play with him. So like the talent, yes, but you you have to include you have to include the. I'm just saying it took an outlier game one, and it took an unbelievable. Superhuman shot was and an amazing, amazing resume to the goat of LeBron to get them to the next round. But out, game one wasn't an outlier, though. I, it was. The, if you look at the shooting things, that was their best effective field goal percentage basically of the year. And yeah. and, and and like there's Rui, much like Rui and Reeves had their games of their careers, and we missed a lot of wide open looks or series. Yeah, well, and I mean, I'm just all I'm saying is it was we let them have a good series. No, I'm not trying to say that we should be there instead of the Lakers. I'm, what I'm saying is, is that you don't look at that and think, oh, man, we're so far away. No, it's like literally we lost the series. We lost it. I think I think we lost the series. We should have won this series. I think it's like I think it's the way the Bucks are looking at the Miami Heat series right now. Like we should have won this series. And and. Like, that's the way I feel, and I think it's and, – and to me, why I said that I'm eager is that I'm glad we did now, and I'm hoping we're going to learn our lesson because I think there's a world where Rui doesn't go crazy, Reeves doesn't go crazy in game one, LeBron misses that layup in game two, we go to the next round where we have, I think, a better matchup for our roster, and we actually get to the Western Conference Finals maybe – and we so lose also there, a world where but Dylan we're not in the right. Thirty-five percent makes every yeah. open three. There's a world where Jaron is competent offensively more than just one game. There's a world where yeah. I mean, this is just like wish casting no, stuff. I don't think it's wish the casting. Real, the reality is that this organization, if we're going to take a leap in the next right. year, like we, I mean, this is the other thing. By the way, is that like this is the second playoff year in a row where Jaws injured. And it's a reality that we may have to continue thinking about him getting banged up, and we've got to have more playmakers around to take and I to shell agree. it off. Of and it. I'm saying if I'm saying that there's a world where I think we sneak through this series, we get a better matchup in the next series, and then our front office and our core three players and our coach don't get the message. And so, in that sense, I am. I'm well, that's glad. a great silver lining. I'm yeah, with that you. is a silver lining. We got to make I changes. We, have, a, we, can we agree. have to make changes, and I think this showed us that. And I think, but I think there's also this notion that as bad as we feel, and as crazy as we like, as much as we feel like, oh, the Lakers were obviously better. When you look at it, like it, they weren't. They were not clearly better. We were. We went into this series favored for a reason, and and so I think that's something to to take away. Um, and I think so. I think in that sense, it was a very clarifying series. I think full strength we win. Like that's just my opinion. I think full strength we win. Granted, you look at across the league, full strength is not something you can necessarily rely on in the playoffs. I mean, how many teams have every single one of their guys that are like 
they're planning on at the beginning of the season to make a difference in the playoffs. So, like, I understand that. I do think, I mean, you look at just how many points purely that the Lakers scored in game one and game six. Again, shot incredible. And then you look in regulation, they scored 93, 104, uh, 111, and 99. I mean, if you're holding teams to that amount and our offensive rating throughout the year was, I looked it up, it was a 114. So like in every single one of those games, you play average offensively. And that's the problem. Basketball, when you break it down, you have to put the ball in the basket. And that is the point. And if you cannot do that, you will not win. And and so, like, shot making is number one. And it's like the number one thing that I attribute to why we lost in this series. Number two would be injuries. And number three, I do think there is this, there's something that happened between game two and game three. I place most of that blame on Dylan. And we went through it all after when we were reacting in the moment to game two and reacting on the podcast after game three, like we go back and listen, like we took you through everything that went into um, basically how our, how this series changed when, when the Lakers decided to turn it on. And then you look at Anthony Davis, 26 blocks in six games. Jaron led the league in the regular season in blocks per game with three. Anthony Davis averaged 4.3 per game. Like that's absolute insanity. And we were forced to play that way because they were leaving one plus guys open, like one or two, depending on who was in there. And so, yeah, I mean, I think for all of that, I, I don't, I, I still think the front office believes that this team is incomplete. Like, I think that it proves the trade deadline, what we were doing there proves it. Like, I don't think that they're satisfied. Um, but I also think it's fair to say if we have maybe one out of the three of Adams, Clark, and Kennard fully healthy for this series, like, I think we win. I also think what Harrington tweeted, and I think maybe, Ty, you sent this to us, that it uh, when we got rid of Kyle and Melton, that based on the Western Conference, we weren't necessarily thinking that there was going to be a window this year. Based on it's, those it's moves. It's historical parity yeah. across the Western Conference. Yeah. Like This, does, this will not so, happen again. And so because the window was here, you can say, well, we made changes this time last year or decisions mm-hmm. based on maybe taking a step, knowing we might take a step back-ish. Or, or you, you continue to, like, in my opinion, this front office should be thinking we've got four to five more years of Jaws peak we got to be ready every year. Yeah. We don't know when it's going to hit, and we have to have the best that we can each year to make to make a run. And I do think that they were trying, from from what it seems like, to improve the team. And we're still just sort of stuck with mediocrity at a lot of positions that can't win you a playoff series. There is no question that, like, if you if if we're heading into next year's playoffs with the same team we are going to feel less – three out of four of us will most likely be feeling less optimistic about our chances to win a playoff <laughs> series. I, so I dis, so I had a little – I struggled a little bit with that tweet from Chris Harrington because I disagree. Like, I, I agree in somewhat – I agree that they – so I think what they thought was um, – I think they looked and they thought Kyle uh, – they identified Kyle as, as a Dylan – that like literally we're never going to win with him. Like Kyle's great. He's not like that, that as long as we have jaw, um, 
we're not going to be able to play Kyle like in the because of the three on five stuff we just talked about. They identified Kyle as somebody like that. And and it was going to be hard to keep him with cap and all that stuff. So they let him walk. I think with Melton, what they saw was Melton is not going to be a guy who gets a lot of minutes for us in the playoffs. We're going to sell high on him. We're going to get a first round pick and we're going to get a good contract that we could, that we turned into Kennard. And we would all say that for the playoffs, we'd rather have Kennard than Melton, I think. And so I think that they, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> that's, so, that's so clear. I think that, that they, trade. and I think they thought that, and I think they thought this is a year where I think we're going to be shallower than we were the previous year, but we think our top eight, nine are going to compete uh, for the playoffs. So I think they were competing. I just think they saw we're going to sell high on the, our eighth, ninth players. And I think we can fill that in with some depth. They're not going to p- big, be big playoff guys for us anyway. And somebody like Kyle would not want to not be on the team if he's not going to be a playoff guy. And we're going to then go youth and do development with the rest of them. I also think they thought Zaire was not going to be a disaster this year. And so I think they were still very – so I disagree with Harrington a little bit in that I think what they just thought was we can risk that our top seven, eight are good enough. The problem is we lost two of those guys um, in Adams and Clark, and then that really Honestly, three if you include if you include Zaire. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I guarantee you four, we You lo- lose four out of your top nine yeah. in that respect. If you include yeah. Zaire in the, in the top nine. Yeah. And that's it's the thing crazy. I was going to say that I saw some people on Twitter say this too. It's not that we like let Kyle, because I saw some people that are just not aware of our situation to be like, if they had Kyle Melton, this series would look a lot differently. That's not true. But it's not that we didn't, we essentially replaced them with rookies. One in Roddy, who honestly showed like he he was. I didn't think the moment was too big. He's just not there yet, right? And then the other one is Laravia, who never really got out of the G League past half the season, right? That is essentially who we filled in the void of Kyle and Melton. I think that's the biggest disconnect. Is what did we do with those absences? Oh, we drafted two late first round rookies. Did they help us? Uh, no, they didn't, right? Yes, we ended up getting Kennard and the Danny Green thing. So, yes, you could look at that as being a move that helped us this season for the playoffs. But, Brantley, to your point, it's like if we would have known that this season was really wide open, I wonder what would have happened with, like, a Melton deal. I, I just I wonder if we would have approached that differently. The Kyle thinks so. Maybe not. But I think we'd be not. just as frustrated with Melton. At this no, point no, no. In the I'm not saying we would have playoffs, kept though. him. But if you had told, I'm our, saying we would have would aggregated him or but something if, like that into sure. something bigger. But if, but if you told our front office that in February, March of this year, we're going to find out we've lost Adams for the year, we've lost Clark for the year, and by the way, our superstar totally going to be an issue. They would have said, "We're so happy. We we sold. We, we yes. We let Kyle walk. We sold high and Melton, and we have a bunch of young players. Yeah, they would have been so happy with that move. And I just think that's that's something to keep in check too. As much as people say, like our front office threw this year away by going young, I just think they thought we we have our eight playoff guys, and so we can get rid of all the other guys for younger, cheaper right. development guys. And that could be thing, better long term. Yeah, another narrative that was happening that I somewhat agree with during the time of us. Everyone was like, there's no way they're going to draft all the picks that they have. They're going to start trading all this kind of stuff. We didn't, right? We were shocked when we traded up, traded Melton to get an extra first-round pick when our roster was essentially already full. We literally had to cut and wave 
um, Killian Tilly just to like open up a spot. He was technically like on the roster, which is wild. So no one expected us to do that. And I saw like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And I saw one thing that I thought was really interesting. It's like, this is the last year that they think they will be able to use their picks to add somewhat of a young, really good team-friendly contract. Because moving forward, we're not in that mode anymore. We are trading picks. We are making bigger moves. We are adding bigger contracts. So when you have bigger contracts, it's great to have people on rookie contracts, late first-round picks, um, to be exact. Like, Bain is the best contract in basketball. There's a reason we traded up to number 30 to get Santi, because the 30th pick is the best pick in basketball, right? It's the longest deal at the shortest guaranteed money. Um, it's really smart to do that. And I saw someone say that, which again, to the point of like, front office has seen weaknesses. We know where we need to improve. We clearly have tried. We tried to do that at the deadline. So my thought process now going forward is like, if there are breadcrumbs being laid by the front office, like they are all pointing to, there's there's a new way we're going to start doing things. And that is not like, you know, trying to trade up in the first round again to do something like that. Like now we are big game hunting to an extent. We are trying to build to this core. We are trying to increase our chances of winning a championship rather than let's just collect talent we can now. Let's kind of set ourselves up for maybe future, uh, future moves and stuff like that. The future moves are now, I we can get into this a little bit, I think they should happen right now. I think they should be happening this summer. Before we dive into those, should we go back and look at our questions that we asked prior yes. to the postseason yes. starting we should. and see where we landed before and now let's Dylan look at Dylan conversation needs to happen, and I've been waiting to like tee it up because I think this question is going to really allow us to dive deep into Dylan. Yeah, so I, I'm just going to read the ones that were relevant. We went through about like nine questions, and I think about four of them are worth just sort of rehashing what we said are like what the question was and what we said. So the first one, <laughs> excuse me, being going into the playoffs, you think this season will be remembered for what could have been the beginning of contention or one piece away. And I fully thought that it was going to be what could have been, and I still think that's what it is. Yeah, I said beginning of contention, and I think there was a – I think that's what I said. Uh, and – I still think that there is an argument to be made for it, and we've harped on it a lot in this podcast, but if you get to the second round, it's a better matchup. It's a competitive, more competitive series. I think you kind of get the monkey off your back of getting through a really, really hard-fought Lakers series, and who knows? We still have no idea if Adams would have ever come back. And so there was – and I also think that was – uh, more of a West Western Conference uh, answer as well, just in the sense that this year was open, if you looked at it. Um, and so, yeah, but I mean, I think all three you can make an argument for. I think mine, because I, I, I believe I remember said the beginning of contention was last year, and I kind of like paired the two, like what could have been in one piece of way in tandem, and I feel even more confident that that is the case. Because, Brantley, I think you were saying this earlier, like, what would it look like if we had, like, that third creator, right, on this team? A guy that not only you had to respect from three, but also could just, like, flat out just go get you a bucket. Like, if we had a third guy to do that in our starting lineup, 
So going back to the trade deadline, I, I'm, I mean, he's never going to be a Grizzly because I, I just don't think they're going to trade him now. But the Mikel Bridges thing, like if you would have told us that this is who he would have become watching the Brooklyn version of him, I bet our front office would have been like, how many do you, how many picks do you want? Like we will give you all of them. Because if we had that guy on this roster taking up Dylan's minutes, like can you imagine the team? Can you imagine like the Lakers? Like we even said like the Lakers can't guard us with Kennard in the game. Can you imagine how inept they would be to guard us with Bain Bridges, Bridges on the wing? So part of I mean I know that's like very talk about wish casting. That is like the just the most wish casting wish casting thing of all time. But the opportunity seemed to be there. Again, maybe it wasn't because he never got moved. But I kept thinking, like, if we could improve this spot, this spot, this spot. And that confirms to me that if we could have indeed upgraded that spot, even with our injuries to Steve-O and BC, I still think that could have been. I, th- I mean, I think a, a be- much better player at that position, I think, wins us the series. Maybe that, again, is too much wish cashing, But that's the way I feel. I mean, do y'all think the answer is one piece away? Like, I no. mean, what could have been? No, I think we need more pieces. I do too. I don't think it's but one as, piece I, away. I was talking about that question. Like, what, sure. what's the real answer? Like, is it? If it has to be the one, the, I would I would probably say um, not the one piece away one. Now I'm blanking yeah. on what, what the other one was. What could have been? What, what could have been? been. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. With injuries. To me, it's what could have been. What Like, with injuries, if we, if our mental game was there, uh, you know, if we, yeah, I just again I just, the Lakers weren't amazing. It was self-inflicted. It's all self-inflicted. Um, what was the next question? <laughs> that was a laugh. <laughs> after this playoff year, what will we feel about Dylan Brooks? Hey yo, will it be like after the Jazz, a core slash key piece of twenty twenty one, or like last year, uh, out of place, a misfit? See ya. Before I'm just gonna before Kraft argues that we should give him a max, <laughs> I just want to lay out his stats for the series. Kraft is nodding his head in agreement that oh, that's yeah, what sure, we should that's, do. Uh, give him the max, whatever. All right, so um, of the series, just this is per game stats. Who do you think take took the most threes of that's our team? Bain. It's Bane, right? Who's second? Dylan. Dylan by, is second. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. by yeah. two. Like it's like a two or three gap. So Dylan took seven threes a game. Um, he was definitely the most open. Bain took eight point three. Dylan took seven. Ja took six point two. So basically six. So a whole shot a game. Um, Dylan shot twenty again. Brantley, you said this earlier. Twenty four percent from three. Um, he shot forty percent from two. So thirty one percent from the field. He did average 10.5 shots. I guess to his credit, he was fourth on our team in attempts. Um, minutes per game, he was actually fifth, which is kind of wild. Um, if we would have gotten, again, back to my point, what I was just kind of saying, if we would have gotten anything from that position offensively, the series to me looks a whole lot different. Again, just looking at Kennard is just like gravity, right? He didn't even produce that much, but the fact that you had to know where he was, was huge. But to me, putting the offense to the side, which feels impossible to do, I've never seen Dylan neutralized 
on defense like this, I don't think as far as long as I've been watching him play basketball, he was completely a non-factor defensively. He guarded no one well. He couldn't guard LeBron well. He didn't keep D'Lo from flaring out. You talked about how like D'Lo kept like disregarding or getting lost on Kennard for some shots. Dylan was constantly getting lost on defense. To me, this showed his absolute weakness as a team defender and that it is very bad. He is not a good team defender. If you ask him to just basically face guard and lock up a perimeter player, he's pretty good at doing that. Brantley, I think on that list, or maybe not one of the questions, but one of the answers was was like, let's let Dylan's defensive versatility shine in this series. And to me, you it couldn't have shined less, right? So to me, it's like not only did he hurt you offensively, but he didn't provide, in my eyes, any positive defensively. And to say that about Dylan Brooks basically means he was not a net neutral, which is usually what he is, right? Nothing on offense, good on defense. But it was just an absolute negative with him on the floor in this series. And for him to be in the position that he is, the way Jenkins runs his offense, again, having Ja out there, the position that we need that player, the skill set that we need that player to be, the fact that it's just so lacking from him individually as a player, to me just screams like change has to happen to for us to take for me to take us seriously. To to your point, he was um he was the only negative defender on our team in this series. Like if you go with the two the two shooting, there's been some graphs out there all over Twitter, people sharing, but he was the only player uh, because both us and the Lakers were below not just NBA average, but even playoff when people are playing better defense. Both of our offenses were below playoff average efficiency uh, for the entire series, and we were just so bad offensively <laughs> that that Lakers being bad offensively, they were just less bad than us. And uh, but Dylan was the only only player who was actually a negative on the defensive end for us of our in our entire roster. So that says a lot. One thing bad. I'll mention: it was, it was it was a disastrous series for Dylan. I think it's not. I mean, yeah, in every way. One thing I'll say, and I may be reading too much into this, and then I'll let Brantley and Will kind of take over. Um, at the beginning of this year, there was a lot of talk about Dylan being in that core, right? Like, we referenced this a couple pods ago with the J.J. Redick topic of who's the leader. Is You know, he kind of says, like, is Dylan a leader, you know, kind of thing. And Bain answered yes. Like, Dylan is the emotional leader. an emotional leader of our team. Like, the... <laughs> Gravity he had in the locker room, the say-so and he, that he had in the locker room, seemed pretty evident. It seemed like he had a voice, a pretty significant one, right? Because I remember this summer everyone kind of talked about, like, trading Dylan and stuff like that, and then there was buzz that he didn't work out for Team Canada because he was in Memphis the whole time with our team, working with our guys, practicing with our guys, doing all that kind of stuff. Again, maybe I'm reading too much into this because I kind of want him to not be on our team moving forward. But I did think it was interesting that when Jenkins asked about the leadership of the team, he mentioned three players and Dylan was not listed. He mentioned Ja, he mentioned Jaron, and he mentioned Bain. They asked a follow-up question to Bain in his post-game interview after game six. He reiterated the same three players, himself, Jaron, and Ja. Dylan was not mentioned 
in that group whatsoever. The fact that Dylan completely bailed on his media availability after game six. Apparently someone said he didn't. Uh, this is probably just like dumb Twitter stuff. But someone said he didn't even shower. Like the dude just got out of there. Did he even sweat? Maybe not. The I mean, fact yeah. that like that is now the narrative, maybe potentially again, I'm probably projecting, which is something I probably shouldn't do, but this is a podcast. People do that. It could be the narrative within the locker room that like, okay, you know, we have moved on and we've been talking about this for years, how we will outgrow Dylan. I mean, that's like literally what we led our first podcast ever about like three years ago was how we've outgrown him. That's and true. here we are. He's still here. Um, but I think that, I think that has he had finally that one, like, five game hot streak. So he got <laughs> that's so true. I think that's finally come to fruition. So you're saying he sh- he's gonna be gone and he should be gone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You disagree? No. Yeah. My my take on this is not gonna be fun because y'all are. No, I've thought this for like four years. Will, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, I'm just when we look back at all of this. If he doesn't say what he said after game two, I wonder if there's the same level of energy in game three that they bring. I mean, he is completely, he turned a crowd that was going to be good into a crowd that was in a frenzy. And how much for a young team do they feed off of the crowd from a positive sense and a negative sense? And, I wonder how many millions of dollars he cost himself by making a dumb comment after a post game. And I think part of that what I think that explains part of why he's ducking the media from now on like after all those games because I think he knows the writings on the wall and the limitations that he showed on offense. Like honestly, when someone's telling you who they are, listen. And that's that's how I feel right now about Dylan is he is not going to change. He's not going to all of a sudden wake up and be a better shooter. He is a good defender. Like, this was a terrible matchup for Dylan because, yes, he guarded Carl Anthony Towns really well, but maybe we can take a step back and ask how much of that, was in hindsight, Towns? was Towns versus Dylan because we all know that Towns doesn't want the smoke either. And so – when you expose a guy like Dylan to where maybe you can't scale up with him, like maybe he's just a player that has a ceiling and in the regular season, it's really nice to have that guy who's going to take the heat off. And we will probably, if he moves on and let's say we don't get a replacement level player on defense for him, we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to suffer in that area. But the question is, how much more will the offense take an absolute leap to then make up for whatever that difference is? Like, are we going to be okay with being have our defensive rating be ninth instead of third, but our offensive rating be like eighth instead of you know twelfth or whatever, or fifth instead of twelfth? I mean, depending on who starts and who we replace him with, and we'll get into how hard that decision is going to be. But I think from just a locker room cultural standpoint i mean we can this might be a good time too to like also bring jenkins in the discussion and how much do you put the blame on jenkins in my opinion i think that he is we are in a players um led league and it's really tough for coaches to i think i put the blame on dylan number one for not being self-aware enough to like pull himself back but i also think it's like 
Jenkins is put in a very difficult position in this specific team uh, culture to to really change something drastic in a lineup this deep into the playoffs. You can make an argument like that he that's a mistake. Like he should have he should have started Kennard, and he should have limited Dylan's minutes, and he should have changed up the scheme entirely and not worried about the ego of the player. But I think it also is we're not the ones in the locker room. We're not the ones like seeing day in, day out what's going on there. And so it's really hard to say, and I think it's a lot more complicated. But now organizationally, you're at you're at a crossroads. And I, I mean, we'll get into the contract part, like I said, but it's going to be really tough when you're, to me, if they go past the next trade deadline with Dylan Brooks on the roster, um, it's going to be really, really, really difficult to compete at the highest level from an offensive perspective. Yeah. One thing I want to mention too is we thought that the culture of our team could overcome someone like Dylan. And maybe if this season has also shown us something else is maybe our craft culture King, our, our culture had some, some holes, you know, poked in it this year. So I wonder too, if like another reason to just get Dylan out is that maybe our culture isn't quite strong enough to overcome a person like him in the locker room. To that point, I mean, that's to me, that's the biggest thing. Because I am – so, I mean, I don't think I'm really zagging from y'all, and definitely I do not want to give Dylan the max. Uh, but, you texted me that earlier oh, today. Yeah. I'm oh, yeah, kidding. yeah. So, uh, but, All those receipts. Yes, oh, yeah, the receipts. Uh, but for me, the big – because I, I do believe that if we'd somehow grinded out that series – I actually do think Dylan would have been good for the next series because both of them are more one-player dominant offenses and that aren't a big guy like Anthony Davis. And I actually think that he would have performed much better. I think this was the worst-case series for him. The issue is, to me, is that what that is, is when you have – to me, it's like when you do team build, you have, you have superstars, you have stars – um, and then you have elite role players and then you just have role players. And to me, Dylan was in that and he's expecting to get paid. I think like an elite role player. And I think what this series showed and honestly, his field goal shooting throughout the playoffs is that he's just a role player and that he's a guy who you would want on your roster for the next series against the Kings and the Warriors, but if he's a guy that basically is unplayable in certain series, like honestly, a Steven Adams, you know, was unplayable, then we can't pay him, or for me even bigger, we he cannot have the role on our team of an elite role player or a star, which is what he has. And and I almost wonder if the words if game two was him beginning to realize where he was and trying to insert himself into a higher um, place on the pecking order within our team I don't know but to me that's the biggest thing is that what this series showed me and Jenkins is young our team is young I don't know if Jen you know we'll never know if Jenkins would have had the courage to start Kennard or play him way more than Dylan in game six but what it showed me was is that the team dynamic Jenkins did not feel comfortable doing what with Dylan what he did with Adams last year and that is what tells me culturally that it's just really hard for us to be able to keep him on our team 
because we it, we need a guy like that who can go in and especially shut down heliocentric type offenses because we have some of those in the West. But I think he has an overgrown because he's the longest tenured player, and that's for me why I feel like it is time to move on from him because I just don't think culturally we can keep him around. So we all know that I want Dylan gone. I I also think that this one to me is him being a CIA is just as much related to I'm going to skip to the to the one about Jaron that we read because I'm I'm going to combine these. So the question on Jaron was the minutes fouls narrative um will be over after this year's playoffs and the new narrative will be question mark. And I I I I'm not I can't guarantee you what national media people are going to say, but I do think that Jaron proved that you know, he can handle a playoff scenario and he's going to get some benefit of the doubt and and not going to get some of the tic-tac-y type calls that that put him in foul trouble in previous playoff seasons. So that does not to say that that's like perfected itself, but it's over. But I do think we learned that Jaron cannot be a he's not to the point in his offensive game to where he can be trusted as a third option in a playoff series offensively there on night to night every night therefore dylan's role has got to be replaced with someone who can be your third option offensively like and so like let's let jaron be our fourth have the fourth most attempts in a playoff series and maybe some nights he'll get the third because he's cooking but you really just need him to be your defensive anchor and not to worry about it. And you've got to have someone on like a, a wing true type defender who can also put up shots but and hit wide open looks because Bain is being asked to play make. Bain's role has evolved. He's not just a spot up shooter anymore. And so he that's why his spot up looks are down, I think, from a percentage basis, because he's working so hard to to create and relieve that burden from Ja. And so you see in this playoff series how all of these pieces are starting to fit together. And I think we have to be realistic about what Jaron's role could role offensively needs to be. And that really determines what the role of the next, you know, fill in Dylan's position um, has to be. I slightly disagree. I, I agree with most of what you're saying. My slight disagree is I actually think Jaron is there. I think he dominated game one, and he never saw he never saw anything but a double team the rest of the series. And I think that's well, so huge. did all of our best players, right? But, but what I'm saying is, Jaron is now a guy who gets double teamed, and I think that is a huge. But I agree with you. What that means is the we like we are in this weird place where a team had to double team three of our guys to be able to stop us. But they could. And they could, and that's why I think – so I'm saying so – I, so I agree with you. I just was saying that I actually think Jaron's offensive game uh, showed in the first game, and then they made a bunch of adjustments, and his, his next step is going to be, what do I do when I'm double-teamed? Totally. Uh, but, but I do think I completely agree with you at this point that uh, shooters – and shot make, which again we've been. T- it feels like we've always talked about this since 2011. But like, just guys who can hit open shots is such a bigger deal. And honestly, and I'm going to give Jenkins and I think Grizzlies credit here, going back to that heliocentric Dylan thing, uh, and seeing it with a little bit with Kennard, honestly, and with some other guys. Like, I actually trust our coaching and system 
to make some guys who are may not necessarily plus defenders our team defense, especially with Jaron back there, to actually not be as big of liabilities as we maybe think. Like, I actually think that we do a pretty good job of teaching our guys how to deal with getting picked, you know, picked on and, and, and team defense-wise. So, so I completely agree with, like, your conclusion. I think just sure. to – I've been on the business analogies this podcast for whatever reason, but I think – Brought I, to you by Walker. That's Financial right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm – I kind of think of it like Dylan right now is like an equity partner in a company, but really he's better served as just like a, a manager or an employee where it's like, you shouldn't have a seat at the table right now. Like you shouldn't be getting a vote in what's going on and you shouldn't have this much influence in what's going on. For some reason in this organization you are, maybe if you just, you know, we buy you out and you go to a different organization in the right role, like great. Like it's not as if he's incapable. Like he has a skill that, People will pay for in the NBA, but this situation has just run its course, in my opinion. And we're just at a point where we need fresh voices in the room. We need, I think that, like, say what you will, like, the bas- basketball is not only played on spreadsheets. Like, there is the, the component of when you take Dylan out of the organization, a lot of the negativity goes with it. And I'm not saying that we, I, I'm someone that does not care what national media are saying. Like, I don't personally get affected by the negativity as much. I kind of think that in a weird way, I I really like it. Um, I think it's motivating, but it does cross over to a point where it's like, okay, like this has gotten out of hand and it's, it's, it's actually affecting the game at that point. And that's when I don't like it when it, when it makes its way onto the court. And I think this season it did do that. Do y'all think that, uh, do y'all think the 35, nine, was directly connected to that or do you think it also showed some mental issues like cultural issues or mental issues with us the third game three or do you think do you really put that at dylan's feet well i think that it's it's both it's like we wouldn't have been in position to be challenged in that way to that extent but we didn't also meet the challenge. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit of both, but I think that Dylan is the one that, like, completely opened the floodgates for that to even be a risk. I think so, too, because in the 35-9, to I remember the Lakers made, like, again, that was, to me, that was the game where they really decided to play the defense. They, could, they played the rest of the series, right? They started doubling Jaron. Um, they started blitzing Ja, trying to get the ball out of his hands, stuff like that putting four guys in the paint and baiting us to kick it out to Dylan and then let Dylan make a decision. Am I going to take this shot because I'm wide open or am I going to try to do something else that may be better for the offense? It's what we talked about after the game in the recap pod. And what did Dylan do? He said, Dylan time. Let's shoot this sucker, right? He's 24, baby. And then he went, I think, three for 13 in the game or started like one for nine or something like that. Uh, they were all wide open shots because that's what the Lakers were begging us to do. So to me, again, going back to like your, like that is mental fortitude. Like the the mentally strong basketball player, again, just exactly I feel like what we talked about, says like I don't have it. I'm open for a reason. Let me try to do other things on offense. And back to my point after that podcast, Dylan is not capable of doing other things on offense. He doesn't cut. He doesn't screen. He doesn't handle the ball. He doesn't crash in for offensive rebounds. Like, he either hits jumpers or that's it. Like, that's all he does on offense. Like, to give Tony Allen credit, 
Tony Allen was a great like backdoor cutter. Could like read when someone came on a quick double to mark, immediately cut to the basket, right? Like Dylan doesn't do any of that stuff. He just chills on the wing, waits to get the ball. No one's within six feet of him, so he takes the shot and he misses it. So to me, it's like there's no other there's no other offensive skill set. He either makes his shots or he doesn't, but he's not going to help you in any other way. So back to the mental thing, like I th- and to the point, Will, kind of what you were mentioning, like he is who he is at this point. We can't expect him to change. We can't expect him either, if this series tells me anything, for him to have a diminished role and take it well on our team. In the past, we've talked about, like, well, what if we just move him to the bench? What if he's, like, the sixth or seventh man? To me, this shows that, like, he that, that would not go well, and that is not an option. Um, so we just need to cut ties. Do we all agree? That, I mean, I know we all agree. that we just need to cut ties? Further to that... To go, into I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that we, in a sense. Okay, we need to me- right, here discuss the mechanism. We do. of cutting ties in the next. Will T, oh, you want to do it when, now I or later? T- I think we are there. Any more questions? By the way, that the we did. The other one that we haven't hit, which this could be a part of the towards the end, is Bain's performance in the playoffs will merit what type of contract? Basically, great question. And and I I I think this is tough. I think Bain's performance in the playoffs was volatile. Like he had some great nights and he had some not great nights. I don't think you can afford not to pay him the max at this point. I hope that we have excellent negotiating in the room. Anything below a max is a win for yeah. Bain, in my opinion. In this in this reality, I'm trying that to say to walk away from the max if that's what he demands or whatever. But like at the same time, I'm like maybe. We can figure out how to not get it for him. I would love to, if I'm in the room, I'm using some of what happened in the playoffs to maybe shave a few million off. If he wants the max, then the new CBA allows us to go five years. And I think that would be what I would say is, well, then you give us a fifth year Correct. team option or no, definitely not player option because at least then we're like, once the new salary, once the new media deal kicks in, it'll feel like a deal. But that's especially why if we get below max now, it's going to feel like a steal as soon as the new media deal kicks in. And I think the interesting part about his contract is going to be whether we can get it in a descending uh, fashion like Jaron's is, or or would we rather it actually go flip the other way around if we're going to try to get another guy right now? Um, That's interesting. But I I personally still kind of hold the same opinion that I did pre-playoffs. I think he showed near the end of the series – like he he was able to adapt and he had some rough shooting like he'd never really had a great shooting night um from a percentage standpoint and yet game five was the only game of the series he shot above 40 percent from three correct so like he found a way i think he paced our offense and yes i don't love when you can see the obvious decline in his percentage when he does have to play make but i also see his playmaking leading to a lot of other good stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, he, and he plays super hard on defense. Right. And he's, he's I, not, I just think he is yeah. a gamer. I mean, I think. High character got to. I think yeah. he's great in the locker room. Big yeah. Brantley, to your point, the game, post-game five comments about, like, we'll, we'll see you back in game seven. That was, you know, not ideal. Um, but his post-game after game six was very encouraging. Yeah, but at the same um, time, I don't, I don't mind, no, I don't you're mind right. that. No, you're right. It was the – I mean, I think that you, that's just him trying to boost a team that has been just beaten down. I also sure. thought he, he probably expected Kanar was playing. 
That's also true. But remember, he's making $5 million next year, by the way. Insane. A little bit more, but like around five. Like when we go to the negotiating table and he pulls up like Jordan's pool stats from this playoff series (laughs) and is like, look what he got. And you're telling me you're not going to give me what he got? That's the guys that get overpaid. I can't. I'm, I can't, <laughs> yeah, that's I can't help that. I can't help bad decisions. Jordan Poole was not hey, a, it's, not it, a good decision. As you say, that was that was because he, uh, you know, he's playing San Francisco, Texas. That's what that's about. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, well, this has been sort of an autopsy, sort of a eulogy. Um, there's we have our Denny Awards, which will be our, our next podcast, where we'll take a more holistic look at the season and actually talk through some some of the more um, specific events, moments, uh, what we liked, what we didn't like. But we're now in a, at a phase where we're going to need to talk about what's next. And turning the page starts right now. We're going to take uh, a little bit of a break, maybe break this episode off into a little part one, part two action, and uh, and then head to part two. You got something? Yeah, just real quick. I know this will probably be part one, but I wanted to go ahead and, and say – just uh, thank you all uh, for listening. Um, we have had, Absolutely. we've really grown in listeners and followers this last year. And we've loved, uh, we love doing this. I mean, this is probably the most fun I've had, especially in a while uh, because of how the Grizzlies have been playing. Uh, so we love talking about basketball. We love that y'all like listening to us. And so we just want to thank y'all for following along this year. It's been super fun. And uh, and we've we're growing and, and it's exciting. So thank you all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are just it, it really is the feedback that we get on a regular basis that um, it just really keeps it keeps us going. I mean, we've been now together since December of 2019, which is kind of hard to believe that we're in in our fourth year of podcasting right now. And I feel like with the where the team is at right now in contention it's it really i mean with everything going on this season it is still such an exciting team to follow and an exciting situation and we are pumped that there is a fan base that is not only loyal to this team but loyal to our podcast we appreciate all the texts appreciate all the reviews um and and yeah it's been an awesome season at, at Grisden, and we're looking forward to many, many more. So tune in to part two, and we're going to talk about what the future is going to look like. <laughs>